Hello, and welcome to The Consumer VC. I am your host, Mike Elb, and on this show, we talk about the world of venture capital and innovation in both consumer technology and consumer products. If you're enjoying this content, you could subscribe to my newsletter, theconsumervc.substack.com, to get each new episode and more consumer news delivered straight to your inbox. My guest today is Alexa Von Tobel, founder of Inspired Capital and LearnVest. Inspired Capital is a generalist fund based in New York City that backs early stage founders with transformative ideas. Some of the companies include Chief, Geneva, Public, and Snack Pass. They recently closed their second fund of $281 million investing in seed and Series A companies. She also founded LearnVest, which was an American financial planning company, which she sold for $250 million. In this episode, we discuss how New York's entrepreneurial and venture capital scene has risen in the past 15 years, her approach to investing as a generalist, and staying price disciplined in this current environment. Without further ado, here's Alexa. Alexa, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. This is going to be fun. Oh, I really appreciate you uh, you coming on the show. I wanted to discuss the beginning of Inspired. Uh, no pun intended, Inspired you to start Inspired Capital. Well, it's really rooted in my own history, which was in 2008, I dropped out of Harvard Business School. I uh, actually founded a company, Learn Best, in 2007. May of 2007. And after basically a year of nights and weekends kind of working on this big idea, I, as Lehman Brothers went under, kind of saw the world go into a global economic recession. And I said to myself, this is probably the right time to launch the company I've been working on. And I moved to New York City. And I was 23, 24, 25 years old, uh, depending on which year you're talking about. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't believe that there's not more capital here in New York. It's a literally, in my mind, a capital of the planet. And while I was raising our Series A, I literally had to get on planes and fly to the West Coast, multiple flights and two weeks of sleeping on couches. And I just remember having this really authentic moment where I was like, at some point I want to come back and I want to build the firm that I wish existed for me right here in New York City. And so fast forward, built LearnBest, sold LearnBest to Northwestern Mutual um, for $375 million. I started doing a ton of investing again. I'd actually spent some time at Insight Venture Partners early in my career. And um, focusing on investing, all of a sudden I realized not only did I love it, I loved it so much that I was like, this isn't a job. This is really such a gift. And the words finally came out of my mouth. I said, I'm ready to start that firm. It's inspired capital. And the DNA of the firm is really special. Um, The team, the core team, the founding team of the firm has actually known each other for 68 collective years. It's actually six. I I only did the math on this last night, but 68 collective years stemming from people like Penny Pritzker, who I've known for almost a decade, Lucy DeLand, who's one of the partners here at Inspired and a co-founder of Paperless Post, who I've literally known for 20 years as a best friend. Mark Batsian, who I've been with 11 years. Annie Shapiro, who I've been with for almost 12 years. She was my first hire from LearnVest. She runs our platform. And just we just wanted to build a really special firm. And I think just like anything in life, people are everything. And so we brought together this really special group of people. And between the founding team, we built and scaled 10 businesses ourselves. And so it really is that lens of vivacious, energetic, raw commitment and hard work to our founders, but also with the 
now more experience living through a number of recessions plus COVID. Penny Pritzker, U.S. Secretary of Commerce in the White House. We've seen a lot. And we now can bring all of that craftsmanship back to the apprenticeship model of helping be there for founders. Um, And the last thing I'll just say, you know, we're an early stage fund, Seed Series A, full generalist fund investing around the country. But with a real eye to the craftsmanship, especially in an environment like today in 2021, where capital is quite literally everywhere. I always believe and we believe that the best founders in the world really want people who give them unfair advantages and actually really do want input and support, especially time is the most valuable resource that founders have. So that's us in a nutshell. It was really born out of that like very clear, lucid belief of, God, I wish the firm that I really wanted for me existed and what a gift to get to come back and actually go build it. Um, And we're having a blast. That's amazing. That's amazing. What's really fascinating too is you've seen New York, the rise of the New York startup ecosystem in the past 15 years or so, and the rise of you know venture capital firms now starting up just like Inspired um, in New York. I wanted to talk with you just from someone that's seen it all. What has the transformation been like when you started LearnVest um, all the way until now? And how do you see like New York maybe on like the national stage? So 2008, December 18th, I drop out of Harvard Business School. I come to New York. I kid you not, there was one group that would do an angel track. It was New York Angels, and it would be 25 to 50K. They invested. And I remember being like, this doesn't do anything. Like, I I need a million dollars, but like, where do I go get a million dollars? So back then, it was literally connecting the dots going and gathering those checks, doing it person by person. Um, I didn't want any friends and family money because I was already putting all all of my own savings in and I didn't want the weight of anybody else on my back. I was like, I really want to do this on my own. And one of the things at that point, also I was building a fintech company, yet Mike, fintech wasn't even a category, literally. (laughs) I was building the next generation of financial planning on the internet and trying to figure out how to build a you know, registered investment advisor in a regulated industry and a bunch of other things. And so, so first the ecosystem was anemic from capital. It was still really wrapping, you know, heads around startup, the scene, what does this mean? It was not glamorous. Probably 80% of people that I met thought I was a complete lunatic. They were like, why did you drop out of Harvard Business School in the heart of the worst recession in 81 years with no capital committed to you? you crazy 24-year-old girl. And I just deeply believed in what I wanted to go build. It had crossed the point of no return. I had to go build it or I was going to regret it forever. Luckily, my boyfriend now husband was like the world's most supportive human ever. And he was like, you got to go do this. Let's do this. I just put my head down and started working. And then fast forward our series A. Again, I had to get on planes. I ended up with many, many, many term sheets, almost 10. I took capital from Excel Venture Partners, who's you know absolutely delightful. Same thing though, I'd come back and I remember being like, I have my capital on the the West Coast, but I'm here. Like, I need talent in this ecosystem. And again, even senior talent at that time, CMOs, VP marketing, data marketers, all didn't exist. Like, you to find them, it was like they were all on the West Coast. And so even on the talent side, it was really anemic. And then fast forward now a decade, New York City has born now dozens, and don't fact check me on this because I'm doing this from memory, but dozens now of unicorns and huge businesses from your MongoDB to your 
everything that great people like Josh Kushner have done, Oscar to you've just born the Flatiron Health guys just have born huge unicorns that have then given birth to even more founders, the Warby Parker guys. And so not only is it easier, there's some real advantages to having certain types of talent on the East Coast. In 2019, that's when we launched Inspired. I literally had my last day at Northwestern Mutual. I was on the management team there. And so I wanted to transition that really, really thoughtfully. And literally that day we stood up inspired, announced it in the press and closed $125 million. And then I had a third child. And so then I finished the fundraise that summer. Um, and what was really amazing was that was pre-COVID. Our strategy was generalist fund, early stage, East Coast is going to matter. We think the East Coast over the next 20 years will only continue to explode. Dollar per dollar, there's fewer dollars here in an environment, an ecosystem that's exploding. And then you add in COVID. And all of a sudden, COVID, remote work, distributed teams, California, lots of people leaving to finally be able to live in houses and have space. And, and all of a sudden, what we realized was our core strategy for Inspired only ignited even more. We felt real tailwinds come into us. And we were in a really special spot as a firm because two of our bigger categories that we happen to be deeply experts in is fintech and everything around it, from crypto to infrastructure. And digital health were two categories that just literally lit on fire in so many ways. And so what was COVID obviously was a moment for all of us. I had three little kids through COVID. So I just want to say out loud that I like feel for every human and parent out there. We just leaned all the way into work and we started to think about how do you think about building a world-class venture fund more remotely? How do you think about meeting teams on Zooms? How do you think about the categories that are going to have major unfair advantages through what we're going through? And we just put our heads down and did what we know to do best, which is work hard. So it's been a really rewarding last two years and we have so much hard work ahead of us. That's amazing. On the COVID front, you know, we now heard so many companies now rethinking, do I need to be in San Francisco? Can I move somewhere else and have my company move somewhere else and still be just as productive or or still be able to, you know, have the right network? Does it matter as much in terms of location? How did that affect New York, do you think? Because I know there's like a lot of uh, commentary on startups moving from, and I know quite a few that moved from New York to Miami, for example. Um, and I know that Inspired is so deeply involved in the New York ecosystem. I think like half your portfolio is uh, New York-based companies. Was that at all a negative consequence of COVID for you? No. So, so a few things. Um, so right now, uh, Fund One's portfolio, uh, which we're still investing, even though Fund Two's closed, we're still investing out of Fund One. Fund One's portfolio is about 40% East Coast. So tri-state, you know, Boston to, to DC, 37-ish percent uh, state of California. So that's LA and San Francisco. Um, and then the rest is actually middle of the country. And we have two investments outside of the country. So I just want to make sure I say that we are... While we like have extremely deep roots in this ecosystem and have been so fortunate to, to truly grow up in this ecosystem and care so much about it, we really invest everywhere and our networks are everywhere. And just as I'm sure in your own life, many of your closest people have moved to other places, so, so have ours. And so we really get the benefit of that. Here's the way that I think about it. Silicon Valley and New York City are undeniably two of the biggest tech cities in the United States, and that will stay. Silicon Valley tomorrow isn't going to become a number two player. In fact, it will probably be the number one player forever for a really long period of time. And New York, I think, is going to become a more competitive number two. And I love to think of New York City as an underdog because 
it's New York, God bless American city. Um, and I think what's happening is the momentum of New York probably exceeds the momentum of many, many, many other cities. Just from everything I mentioned, it really is 15 years of infrastructure in the making. The fact that the Amazons, the Facebooks, huge, big companies have come here. It's the center of fintech and financial services, which is now all data science, right? Every hedge fund is a quant fund. Is a, everybody is a data scientist. Um, it happens to be the leader in so many ways in health tech and everything that sits around that. Um, and then it also happens to be number one in media, culture, arts, and, and will be for the planet. And so, you know, there's just so many other unique advantages to this ecosystem. And then I think what we've seen happen is if you're a great founder anywhere, literally you can be anywhere, you're going to probably end up with workforce, whether we're in offices or not, that sits in a few locations. And if California is going to be an obvious location, I believe that this tri-state area of New York is going to be a clear second location. And so what we're finding is some of your best founders absolutely want access to that talent. And one of the, the really fun things about the Inspire team is we've employed over 1,500 people in this ecosystem ourselves. And so those people breed even deeper relationships. And when I sold to Northwestern Mutual, I was tasked with standing up their digital tech hub here. And so we just hired and hired and hired. And um, anyways, it's just a, a, a wonderful community. And one, I, I'm from Florida, so I very much so appreciate the Miami move, um, except I always joke that I don't know how anybody lives in the 100 degree temperature. I grew up in it and I'm like, how did I grow up this way? Did I grow up this way? No, but, uh, you know, I just think that this, I think we're going to start to see the rise of other cities while California unbundles a bit. And to actually steal from Fred Wilson, he said the genie's left the bottle and it's not going back in. And so I, I really do believe that we are at the beginning of a place agnostic future and that it really is more of where can you find the talent and where do you have a talent edge? Now, with this genie in the bottle out and not going back in uh, mentality in that now entrepreneurship is everywhere, meaning it always was everywhere, but now you can maybe build a venture-backed large business in a lot more locations than you could. It used to be just Silicon Valley. Now it's really spread to New York um, in the past 10 years. And then, of course, LA's um, done done incredibly well as well. I have to shout out to LA since since I've lived in LA for the past eight years. But does this make sourcing for you a bit tougher? Because it's not just, okay, like pull the community together where it's local and try to find the companies that are really close to you uh, geographically, um, but rather now spread across um, the US. Or is that something you were already doing before? Already doing that before. Um, so in fact, as I said, if anything, I feel like sourcing is easier. We can actually see more companies in a day. Zoom is so efficient. I, I mean, I, I look back to like what we were doing pre-COVID where it was like literally running around a city to then try to do a phone call, to then try to have a logistics to meet at a coffee shop, to have a less efficient conversation because a waiter's delivering a breakfast or a coffee to you. Like we can actually stack more companies. We can see more people. We're far more efficient in that regard. The fact that people now deem this medium as easy and, and most importantly, um, socially respectable, right? It used to be like, if I don't come see you in person, there was a social norm there that was like, I don't respect you enough to make you a priority. And now it's just so much more efficient. Um, the other thing is most of our sourcing of companies is outbound. It's things that we're going to find. It's categories we're really excited about. We love to to, to write our own white papers. Um, you know, we had a thesis on fintech in Latin America 
that born out of that was a company called Hobby, H-A-B-I, uh, that just raised $100 million from SoftBank. The, the founders, Bryn and Sebastian, were in my network, people I really knew. And I tapped them on the shoulder and said, hey, I'd really love to back you. That was April of COVID, by the way, which in retrospect, I there were days where I was like, wow, we really were active at like the doldrums of a, a pretty scary moment. And most of our sourcing is outbound um, or it's from you know, seed funds that we absolutely love and respect deeply, ranging from like the box to slow to IA to homebrew, where we love to collaborate and share. And so um, I actually think sourcing has gotten easier. The volume of companies that is that are out there is in some days it's astounding to me as, you know, I used to think about, again, being a kid in 2008, building something, um, I didn't know many founders. In fact, I could probably count them all on one hand at that time. And now I don't know people who aren't founders. <laughs> um, you know, all jokes aside. But no, so it, it, it's really, it's just a beautiful thing to see what ha- has happened. And as, you know, one final thing I'll kind of say on my like moral compass here, what's amazing about innovation is you're innovating to make the world better right? Like 99% of innovation is about fixing something to make it more democratic, better access for people. It's creating enormous amounts of jobs. And so it's just such an incredible thing uh, to see what's happening over these last now 18 months. want to also talk about unfair advantages because you said that when you think about how founders right now are really looking for investors that really do have these unfair advantages. How do you distinguish unfair advantages and what are um, inspired capitals um, and your maybe unfair advantages do you feel? Well, so I'll start just by saying um, I have an analogy. Um, So I have little kids and I remember until you have children, you don't really understand children. Like conceptually you understand them. We all have them, all of those things. But like, until you actually have them, you just don't realize how like incredibly detailed and nuanced and specific. And they're these precious little creatures that like you are watching it. You feel, you know, you can push them. Some days you can't, you know, you really understand your child. I would liken building a business to being a very similar thing, which is a founder is truly inside an organism. You know, they're called companies, corporations, that means body. It's really you know, a very similar analogy. And when you are a founder, you have such a good sense for the company. It's an intuition. It's a there's days where you can take the company faster. You can push people. People are motivated. You know, things are working. There's momentum. You can drive into the turn. And there's other days where if you try to do one more thing, you actually could start to break people, you know, infrastructure. And so I'll start by saying between our founding team, we built and scaled 10 businesses. I almost view it as being able to see in more dimensions. We see the contours of problems that are so nuanced that really add up and matter. And so when founders are talking to us, one, we have so much empathy for them. And we one, we trust that they have that same intuition for their own company, their own being. And we really listened to it because there were times I remember that I had investors who said, no, 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 you need to do this. And I'd look at them and be like, if we did that, we would break something. There's not a chance we could pull that off. And then I would spend all these empty calories con- convincing somebody to, to stop and listen to me. And, and here's why. So one, we, we really do wear that lens and, you know, we built many businesses. And so it's just a very experienced feel. And we always tell founders, we're there to not only really listen to the multi-contours of what they're juggling, but we're there to help them. And we're there to give advice, but we're always going to trust their intuition because at the end of the day, 
in the same way that doctors ask parents, what do you think is wrong with your child? They always ask that because they're like, you know this little human better than anybody. We, we trust that founders know the same. So that's number one. And again, it's a really important difference. And there's a ton of great operator investors out there in the country. And there's so many that I respect deeply. That is a foundational DNA of Inspired, which is we've been there. We've been in the trenches. We have so many unique contours that we understand and that we bring to our founders. Number two, it would be silly not to, to mention it, but Penny Pritzker, um, she's currently on the board of, uh, she was U.S. Secretary of Commerce for President Obama. Um, so quite literally watching the country for everything relating to business. Her job is to know most CEOs in the country, quite literally. But she's on the board of Microsoft and Harvard and just is, when I say a world-class business person, there are very few people in the country, if not maybe even the world, that have as many nuanced understandings of everything from policy to, you know, literally uh, how, and, and, and all of these things are blurring together, right? When I was building um, Little LearnVest, it was like regulatory plus tech was brand new and we were, that was uncharted waters. Now, everything, policy, where the world is going, sustainability, how we think about international relations is all merging with innovation and tech. And she happens to be a unique human. I love working with her. I love everything um, about her, but she happens to be a really unique human who not only comes with a, a network that in my little 37 years of life, I don't have, <laughs> nor could I, but you know, she can help our founders do really amazing things. And in fact, in, in fund one, six, seven, eight of our founders have been able to get the exact mentor who is the CEO of the huge incumbent to come and be an investor and advisor in, in some really material way. The third thing is, um, just a tremendous amount of grit and hard work. It's just how we're wired. And we just believe in doing the hard work, pretending that we are our founders, thinking through all the things that we can do to give them a leg up. And it's really simple. And one of the things Mike, we we often share with our deals, our memos, we're like, here's the work we've done on you. And I think in an environment where term sheets are flying and you know, it's, hey, I met you yesterday, but here's a term sheet, we actually step back and are like, here's everything that we understand about your business. Here's the places we think you're going to have cracks. Here's what we would do. And I like to think that we're going to just keep using hard work to earn the trust and respect of, of, of our prospective founders. And then the final kind of unfair advantage is um, while we are a fund of you know 200 and almost 300 million in our second fund, and we very much want those funds to stay incredibly focused and curated, Behind us, we have actually billions of dollars of capital. So we can lean all the way into our investments. Um, we, we have some really unfair advantages on that side where we can completely support our companies to go the distance. I'm going to bring a fifth unfair advantage. And I think this is actually probably my favorite and you can tell I'm already smiling. Honestly, it's a love of the game. When you meet the Inspired team, again, we've known each other 68 years. We came together like a bunch of lunatics to go build something really, really special. We all committed to focus for the next many decades to, to really build a firm that stands out and that that is a magnet for the world-class best founders in the world. We love this. And I think when founders really get to know us, they realize uh, how incredibly genuine that is. And Mike, you know this about anything. If you actually love what you do, you just do a better job and you can work 24 hours a day some days and be like, well, that was really fun. Um, and I, and it's just a, a, a genuine love of the sport, a genuine love of, of the build and all the headache that goes with it. So we always tell our founders on the really bad days, like we'll actually be there to be your cheerleader because we know how much you need it because we've had our own. 
those are wonderful, wonderful five. Um, and I really appreciate you sharing those uh, those five unfair advantages. It seems like a lot of them stem from really all of you being former operators or or a lot of you being uh, former op- operators. So really having that, that that empathy with founders and also understanding of, okay, this is why I think that maybe the, 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 the direction or what you need to do for the company at the same time, uh, because you've actually been there with it, which is amazing. Is it hard as well in this market now you have so many funds that are becoming more specialized. I know that you're a generalist fund. Is it hard sometimes to express the value of a fund like yours as opposed to maybe a fund that actually is very specific in a vertical, for example, I don't know, like a fintech fund, for example? Well, what's sort of funny is let's take fintech as a really specific example. Fintech touches almost everything. And so I think that's why I think it's wonderful that fintech is such a core competency of Inspired. Um, you know, I published uh, two books on the category in different ways. And I think if you really step back, fintech now is, um, in my mind, almost a, a horizontal. It's no longer a vertical. Um, it really, again, payments, um, infrastructure, all of it. Yeah, it touches everything. No, it's a great question of, uh, you know, if Inspired's going head to head with a super specific vertical firm, how do we think about winning? You know, I would say it really depends on the company and it really depends on One of the things that we try to stay really true to, and each fund we get to invest in about 25 companies. So it's 25 founders or founding teams that we get the pleasure of working with. And so I think for each swing, we also really like to go do the work to say, can we bring something really, really special to this team? Can we be an unfair advantage for them? Um, And so I, I think that is part of how we also really like to think. I mean, Mike, you know it better than anybody. These are marriages. They really are. By two of my old investors, uh, Teresa Gao and Samir Gandhi, literally, I'm like, I've known now for almost 15 years. Um, and they're both dear friends and people I really respect. And so it's like, you, you really want to find people that you love working with. And so back to each company, we like to be able to prove that we can be uniquely helpful and Sometimes being a generalist fund means you actually can bring in more insights across more categories in a way that's actually more advantaged. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, in ter- uh, especially to do uh, resources that that generalist funds um, have outside the categories. I always think it's interesting because I've had on folks that might specialize, for example, in like creator economy, um, and that's all the type of kind of companies that they look at. Um, and then other folks, such as you, that are much more generalist. So I always just love hearing kind of both sides to it. I also want to know. So talk to you a little bit about Fund Two as well. Very exciting news! Congratulations. But what were some of the learning that you found, I know you're still deploying capital from Fund 1, but maybe what were some of the learnings from Fund 1 that you found that you might then extend into Fund 2? Sure. Um, tons of learning. So in the same way that, you know, we, uh, I call it ABL, always be learning. Um, you just need to stay and live in a, in a mindset where you um, do step back and second guess yourself and kind of explore uh, everything that you did and really be brutally honest about like what worked and what didn't. In fund one, um, we have a short list of like regrettable misses where it was early in like the standing up the fund, you know, we didn't have an office yet and we were like hunting out and, and you know, there's, there's at least two very specific deals that we absolutely love the founders. It was very clear we were excited. And for a variety of reasons, we just didn't get there and we didn't get to a yes. And we look back and we think, wow, what was going on? So we actually like studied what was happening on the calendar. What did that look like? What was the distraction? Um, in one case, 
it was that we were actually deep on another deal and I, we just didn't have our full infrastructure that allowed it. Basically the punchline, Mike, was we, we realized sometimes you're going to do two deals in a day and that's okay. Um, and that psychology needs to be okay. Sometimes you may do three deals in a week and then nothing for two months and that's okay. And so just the psychology of executing many deals at a time. And we weren't nervous about it at the time. It's just we were, it was the bandwidth. And so really being mindful about bandwidth. So that was number one. Number two, um, we have, we've been really fortunate um, and I truly lucky in these founders are wildly talented. We have a few deals in our portfolio early um, where we wish we gave them more money faster <laughs> because they did so well. And we were like, goodness gracious, that was silly. Why didn't we just literally double down and give the founders just more capital because what we started to see in, in our conviction was there. So like when we went back through our own notes, we were like, so th- those are our two biggest, we had some deals that we just straight up missed. And it was because of truly psychology. And that was my, what I studied undergrad. And so I really like to go, kind of go back and making sure that we all are extremely mindful about our own blind spots and, and unbiased thoughts. Um, and then second, just really that when you see a breakout, leaning even more into it, to the point where it may be uncomfortable because you're doing something that's ahead of where the company is, but you actually have such conviction that the founders are going to get there. And and again, in the rearview mirror, it feels really clear. At the time, it was also pretty clear, which was where we made the mistake because it was clear. So those are two big ones. And then I, I would just say, really, we, we try to, we actually use a bunch of data, voting, pre-votes, post-votes. So we really can go back and track where do we really feel against an idea for the ones that we do, the ones that we don't do, and actually really have a data source to, to really evaluate. So those, I would say, were the two biggest. On, on the positive side, God, we have had like some really amazing companies. We incubated one. We call it an inspiration check. The company's called Aurum. It's money movement infrastructure. It's a wonderful founder who was on my management team at LearnVest for a decade. And her name is Stephanie. And she is just a force of nature. And that's an example of one where we were in beginner mindset learning mode of we know how to build companies. And we're literally helping her build it from day one. And we just... That's a business that has now since raised from Matt Harris from Bain, uh, Excel preempted the B, and it just is, a, again, a, a, a big special idea, loads of work to do, so no, no laps to celebrate it all there. But just that's an example of where we were so mindful through the experience of like our first real incubation that actually like monthly we would do retrospectives on what could we do better. And um, that process was really helpful to doing great work. And again, the jury's still out, lots of work for that company to do, but it's um, it's it's making some really interesting uh, headway. That's amazing. I mean, congratulations on that. Are you thinking about incubating more companies? Yeah. So again, um, you asked about Fund 2. So Fund 2 is about $300 million. 281, it, specifically, we were very oversubscribed and it was a matter of uh, trying to make uh, all the math work. But we really thoughtfully wanted to stay focused and small and, and really focused on seed series A and that bullseye that we love. Um, and so one of the things that we've committed to doing, and we'd set it for fun one, so it's the same strategy, but I, we never really told the the, the world. Um, per fund, we'll incubate anywhere from zero to two businesses. Um, we call it the inspiration check. It is very much not inspired idea. It's very much where we have categories that we really like and we have teams that we trust 
deeply, most of whom we've known for very long periods of time, where we actually just help them get off the ground and kind of swarm them with a a, a load of uh, support and infrastructure and resources. Um, so we will do some of those. Um, so if you're out there and you're a founder and you're excited about your next thing, please, please come talk to us. And we operate just like a board member on those. So, but we really provide kind of lift off fuel. And then it's the same strategy. So same team, same strategy is um, the fundraise was uh, incredibly efficient because nothing changed. And we very clearly pledged that we just want to stay focused on and stay true to our knitting on this early craft. Just again, um, are having a blast. It's been it's been really the team. We kind of all had a moment. Where we were like, have we actually been doing this for almost three years? And the answer was yes. And it feels like three minutes. And I think that's probably a good sign. <laughs> if it felt like thirty years, I'd probably be pretty bad. Um, but it feels like three minutes, and I think that's a, a a really good indication of the future. What's one thing that you would change about venture capital? So again, this kind of goes back to just being a fundamentalist. But um, you know. This environment in in so many ways is so invigorating and exciting. And it's like you really can feel the world changing before us because we all had as a planet, the entire planet at the same time had to be forced to adopt technology in new ways, which is a shock to a global system that we actually haven't experienced in human history. So that's amazing. On the flip side, you know, I think that some of the behavior of the preempt founders taking out big amounts of secondary at their seed series A, some of that sort of dynamic, um, you know, just the fact that the entire category, this is very specific to me, and I'll give you an example. The fact that we talk about ARR, annualized revenue, right? It is by nature a forward-looking metric. And when I was fundraising way back in the day, a decade ago, you just talked about revenue. And revenue is a, what revenue will you do this year versus... You know, it's one thing to say 10 million of revenue versus uh, 10 million of ARR. 10 million of ARR could be 3 million of revenue, but it sounds like 10. And so I just think we're in a bit of a forward-looking, getting credit for the future dynamic, and many of those won't end well. And so back to my being a fundamentalist, one of the things that we, we really like to just sit with our founders and look at is, Let's just look at real business plans, real revenue. Um, where do you think that you'll be able to, to go? And one thing that feels really nice, and, and I think one of the things that excites me most about our fund one, and keep in mind, I will be the first to say we have incredible humility. We have proven nothing. We have so much work ahead of us to do a good job. Um, but I'm most proud of some of the founders that are generating tens of millions of real revenue. Um, and so those are the businesses where, you know, we can say it's not the environment, it's not the, the hype. These are real businesses that are working, that are solving a real unmet need that have genuine traction. And so, so in general, just even the fact that everything is so forward looking, I just kind of like to scale that back a bit and just be like, what is revenue for this year? What is revenue for next year? What does this really look like? And I'm all for helping make sure founders get credit for where they're headed and what things can be. But I also want to make sure that we have founders that really understand what reality is today. Does that make sense? There's a, there's a nuance there. We're all for giving you credit for what you can see in front of you. But at the same time, we want to make sure you're one of the founders that recognizes you're getting forward credit as opposed to what is hitting the bank each month. And the world changes a lot. You know, and again, 2008 was a world rocking recession you know, a 9-11 attack, all of the things that we all know have happened already. 
Um, you just want to make sure a company not only can grow into the valuation that it's at, but actually double or triple also. And the last thing we ever want to see is founders hurt. We don't want their cap table to disadvantage them and it's not worth it. So I always say, take as much risk as you can because you know you can actually perform, but don't go so far that you get stuck in a no man's land or actually completely, you know, ruin a beautiful business because you got too aggressive. So again, it's a balance. And so we also look for, so that's, that's a bit of the sort of things that behind the veneer here, we really like to think about, which is we want our founders to win. That's the long term. um, Somebody always said to me, only one number matters and it's the final number and it's getting there. And that alone is against all odds. It's against all odds. Very few point what 1% of companies get there period. And so that's the number that really matters is making sure you show up at that door and that you win. What's one book that inspired you personally and one book that inspired you professionally? Oh, such a good question. Um, Why We Sleep is just a book that I really, really read. And it just, I think just sleep is such an important trait for everybody and really good sleep. Uh, It just makes you a better human. And especially when you're trying to be a founder, I think sleep is actually just a very important ingredient. And then a book that has inspired me professionally There's one sentence from the hard things about hard things. So just to give a shout out to them where they, and I had him on my podcast and been so talented. And one of the things that I loved about the book was it was in startups, you, you need a bunch of lead bullets. There's no silver bullets. And I think I've just used that concept. I just, again, it's just true. It's like, there's no such thing as a silver bullet showing up that all of a sudden works and you just need all the lead bullets and maybe a less violent analogy going forward would be great. But it just hard work is everything. It is my favorite sentence to my little kids is how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. It's just practice. You have to work. You have to put in the effort. Um, and if you do the effort, you can accomplish anything that you set your mind to. Totally agree. Totally agree. And I, yeah, I, I absolutely love that analogy of there's always lead bullets, but there's no silver bullet. And why we sleep, that's been mentioned a few times on the show, which is um, a great book. My final question to you is what's one piece of advice that you have for founders? This is really simple and very hard to do, which is dream big because no one else is going to dream for you for a variety of life experiences have had to be reminded that like you only get to live once. And I always like to tell people, this isn't the dress rehearsal. Um, So if you're going to do it, do it. And I do think that as part of that dream big, no one else is going to dream for you. It's really hard to stand alone and swim against the grain and not care about other people's opinions and input. And it, but if you listen to what everybody else wants to think for you, you actually can't do what your own inner voice is telling you. And so I think one of the most unforeseen muscles of founders is actually being able to not just swim against the grain, but to really shut out a lot of the other voices that are going to say, don't do it. That's crazy. Don't, that seems silly. It's too early. What about this? And you have to just really find these great listening ears for your own inner voice. And that is very hard to do. So in short, if you're going to do it, let's let's do it. Let's go big. And really learn to listen to your own intuition because it's there for a reason. And it's okay if people don't agree with you. And I do think that we work really hard to, it, it's hard to ignore everyone else's opinions. And I'm not saying don't listen to good feedback. So that's a very different nuance take people's feedback on things, but don't, other people's expectations are not yours. And it's just really hard to actually live that way. It's easy to say it, it's really hard to live it. Um, And so I would say that that's my biggest thing is um, you only live once. You gotta follow your own path and plan. 
Amazing, amazing, I love that. Alexa, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Mike, thanks so much for having me. This has been a total joy. And I just, I mean, I feel like we just had like a full coffee date. This was awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. So much fun. Thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure chatting with Alexa. I highly recommend following her on Twitter at Alexa Von Tobel. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you'd write a review on the Apple Podcasts. You're also welcome to follow me, your host, Mike, on Twitter at Mike Gelb, and also follow for episode announcements at ConsumerVC. Thanks for listening, everyone. 